right, while you turn to Matthew chapter 3, thank you again for being here tonight. Uh, Sunday morning, I'm going to deal with a subject I'll have you pray for uh, about the whys, why why God allows things like this, why these things happen, and, and hopefully maybe answer some questions there that people struggle with. Uh, in the meantime, I ask you to be patient with uh, with me and the church leadership here. Uh, it is amazing the uh, input that we have gotten this week and how opposite it is from each other. So I have uh, I've been told this week uh, if we meet, we are clearly telling people we don't care about them, we don't love them. If we don't meet, somebody else said if we don't meet, we're showing God we don't love Him. So either way, somebody's getting hated, I guess. So. Uh, we're just going to try to meet in the middle, be as wise as we can, and uh, we'll get through this, like Pastor said. We'll get beyond it. Uh, people, uh, I've, it kind of seems like people enjoy panicking, I guess, uh, jump on these things. We'll just stick through it, and uh, we'll make it. Amen? Matthew 3. Verse, uh, we'll, we'll, talk, well, we'll re- reread some of these verses we saw last week, but we're talking about John the Baptist. And uh, as you picture the scene in the day of John the Baptist, out of the desert comes a wild-eyed, fire-breathing preacher like nobody has ever heard before at that time. Uh, It's no surprise that the word spread and people flocked to John to hear what he has to say and to experience this preacher. I have to think it's almost like the shock that would have been in Nineveh when a pasty-skinned, acid-washed a guy that smells like a fish stumps, jumps up on a milk crate and starts preaching destruction. Uh, people are going to listen when you're that crazy. And so here's John, something they'd never seen before, and uh, they, the, uh, they were coming and flocking to him. Verse 5 of chapter 3 here tells us that they then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan. All does not mean that every single person in the region came, but it's used to describe a great multitude. There was a lot of people that came. John's ministry had plenty of attention right from the beginning. People crowded to him from everywhere. Uh, And he had a message that they needed to hear. We've already stressed that fact and seen that in the the introduction messages that uh, he had what they specially needed to hear. They needed to hear a message of repentance because he had to prepare them for a Messiah that was coming to die for them, not reign for them. Now the people wanted a Messiah that would come and overthrow Rome and reign for them. John was preparing them for something different. They wanted physical uh, revolution. John is preaching a spiritual revolution. Now at that time, there's not another person in the world that needed to be listened to more than John the Baptist, and so tonight I want to look at his preaching, and then to begin looking at his baptism, and we'll continue next week, Lord willing, if we're here uh, on the baptism as well. But let's look at a few verses here. In those days, verse 1, came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his neck, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, 
and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones <laughs> to raise up children unto Abraham. Can you just fathom the offense that this was to them? I mean, he is just ripping them. says that don't, don't throw your fact you're Abraham's children. God can make Abraham's children out of these rocks laying on the ground here. Just scorching them with his message here. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall also baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Uh, uh, the, the best we can say about the response of the crowd to John's preaching is that it was fickle. And we'll see that as we work through tonight's text and, and some other verses we're going to look at too. It seemed at the beginning they were all excited about John's ministry, but in the long run they were not. Uh, at first the crowd seemed receptive. They were a seeking crowd. Uh, they came to him, the Bible said. John didn't seek a crowd. They came after him. And this is commendable. They put forth an effort to hear God's man preach God's word. They went out into the wilderness, uh, presumably sitting on open ground uh, to listen to this preacher from the desert. And a good many of them were baptized. This meant that they were publicly recognizing uh, they needed to repent of their sins. Uh, this would cause you to believe that they were serious uh, and really meant business, and no doubt some of them did. But people being people, the crowd was not long-lasting. It was not that sincere. Uh, many of them soon left John. Not all of them. Some left John to join Jesus, which is exactly what John uh, intended for them to do. But it's interesting that in that day and this, people have a very short attention span. They'll, uh, they'll get all fired up. And you know what? You're going to see this. Uh, in my in my little prediction, uh, could be wrong. I have been once or twice before, but uh, you, you uh, is, you're going to see this with this virus thing. I mean, people's attention's just going to get just going to wane away from it eventually because people get fired up about something and then uh, their attention span is very short. Uh, so, but uh, so so this this was starting to wane from John here. Uh, many of them uh, stayed, or some of them stayed, and some of them joined with Jesus, but this was not the majority. Most left because their attention span to spiritual things uh, was short, which is also true of too many people today. We see a proof of their insincerity when Jesus came on the scene. If people would have responded to John the way they should have responded to John, then there would have been a better reception for Jesus when he came, because Jerusalem and Judea is where John ministered. And if you'll study the Gospels, you'll find that those places gave Jesus the worst reception of any places he ministered to. Now that's sad, isn't it? You would think that would be the best place because John's there to prepare. And it's not John's fault. He did his job. He did uh, preach the word. Uh, these people were the ones that had all the spiritual advantage. And yet they were the ones who give Jesus the coolest uh, reception when he came. John did his job. He was faithful. The people were not. 
They jumped on a bandwagon. But when the time came to do right, they just fizzled out. I, I, I have to think that we in America are more responsible for the things that we get than many places to whom much is given, much is required. And we are in a place of spiritual advantage. We are able to turn on the radio. We're able to turn on the television. If you look hard enough, you'll find some good preaching. I don't think it's uh, too rampant on television. But we're able to get a hold of the gospel. You can go on to the internet, listen to any preacher. You can even go on the internet and hear Billy Sunday. Did you know that? There's a short little clip of video of Billy Sunday. Really bad quality, as you can imagine. But you can hear him for preaching just for a minute. You can hear anybody you want to. Uh, go and, and find... We've got access to so much of the Word of God. Not only that, every home has multiple, multiple Bibles. Uh, most everybody owns their own Bible in our churches today. If not, you can take out your phone and you can download about 16 different free Bibles. And uh, get. It, it, you have access to the Word. You can have it read to you. You can have it... Uh, you can read it on your phone or somebody will read it to you. We have... We're in a place of spiritual advantage. Don't you think God will hold us responsible for that? Don't you think God will hold us accountable? And so let's be faithful. Now, the truth is this has not changed. This attitude during John's day, it's still prevalent uh, today. Now, uh, and we can see that even in our churches. Now, aside, I, I think we, I'm actually thrilled at how many we have here tonight. I didn't know whether it'd just be me and and Pastor Forsberg, can you imagine how depressing it would be to preach just to him, you know? And so, uh, uh, but we, I'm glad you're here tonight, but you, you look at just a regular, uh, it will take away the, the, uh, the whole virus situation, but Sunday morning to Sunday night and Wednesday night, look at the difference. You have a hundred and, it's not uncommon for us to have 120 people on Sunday morning, 110, uh, 120 people on Sunday morning, and then, uh, you know, 35, 40 on Wednesday night, and praise God for those that are faithful. But uh, there's there, you've got people that are supposedly excited about the things of God, saved, baptized, and want to serve the Lord, um, but don't have the commitment to really go all the way for the Lord. So, by the way, I, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for those that make an effort uh, to be in the house of God, and uh, even when you're risking your very life, like tonight, amen, uh, to be here. Gone, many uh, many people's excitement for the Lord is gone like a vapor. They lose interest. They get upset at the preaching or mismet or unmet expectations. But just be faithful. Can I encourage you with that? Stick through it, thick and thin, and God will bless you for it as we see in, in the life of John. Now, I've said before, there's probably not five churches in America that could handle the preaching of John the Baptist. Um, I When I picture John the Baptist preaching... I picture Joel Haynes. Remember him a few weeks ago? That's kind of how I picture John the Baptist preach. Spit flying, you know, look like a blood vessel. You're just about to pop a blood vessel and sweating and, and uh, dripping. And that's how I kind of picture him. And I, speaking for myself, I like that kind of preaching. I like, Abraham Lincoln said that he likes preaching where it looks like the preacher's fighting off a swarm of bees. I like that too. Uh, people that get into what they're saying and, and really mean it. But uh, I want to look at a couple of things here. The method and the place of his preaching. The method of his message was preaching. Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. Now the translated the translation of the original word here means to uh, cry out, to herald. Uh, this is not a debate. 
This is not a discussion. John did not come and hold forums. He came preaching. Preaching is the answer to the need in America and in the world today. Uh, I really believe that from the Word of God. Uh, it is a declaration of important truth. It is dogmatic. It is authoritative. The listener should not, uh, and if it's done correctly, will not have any doubt as to what is being said. I say this because I see a trend in many churches, some that are close to me I've been involved with before, uh, going down the path of teaching instead of down the path of preaching. Now, as Pastor and I were talking about this the other day in, in the New Testament, it, it called, names the gifts, pastors and teachers. And, and he correctly said, as I have always believed as well, there's no comma there, that's the same office. Pastors ought to be teachers, but they also ought to be preachers. And many, uh, if you're all one and not the other, then there's a problem. But uh, we're, we're letting preaching go by the wayside. It is a reminder for us, then and now, preaching has been the means for proclaiming spiritual truth. Mark 16, 15, and he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, For that it is uh, in the wisdom of God that the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, their wisdom. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching uh, to save them that believe. There is a need for this today, the preaching of the word of God. But sadly, what's coming from the pulpits, many pulpits today is often very vague and very ambiguous. Uh, it's a bunch of positive uh, uh, molasses dripping off of our pulpits and sweetness and niceness and, and trying, to, uh, trying to just make people feel good about themselves. And uh, the, sword of the, Lord, the sword of the Word of God is blunted when that happens. We're to present the Word of God as it is. The declaration of divine truths has given way to discussion groups which is often, and I'm not trying to be mean, but discussion groups are often a pool of spiritual ignorance. I was recently at Barnes & Noble. love Barnes & Noble because I like books. And almost every time I go to Barnes & Noble, uh, any, just maybe it's just coincidence, but the last three or four times I've been to Barnes & Noble, I see a Bible study going on. And man, if I see a Bible study going on, you mean you spy on them? Absolutely. I sit as close as I can and I perk my ears and I listen. And the one that I heard, <laughs> I had to walk away. It was about the most deluded and, and twisted thinking that these young people, they were very young, uh, college age or younger, and, and uh, you know I wasn't going to insert myself into it, but um, uh, they had no leadership. They had no, no guidance on uh, discerning truths and using humanistic ideas. It was just a mess. Uh, preaching is needed. Spir straight preaching is looked on today as mean-spirited and narrow uh, if you preach the Word of God as it, is, uh, as it should be preached. The, this attitude promotes darkness. It does not promote light because many preachers will back off of being aggressive or they'll back off of being uh, truthful about what the Word of God says. And we need to be truthful about it. And I, I know why. I, I understand it totally because there are times that I've been in the pulpit and, you know, preaching against homosexuality or preaching against, uh, even when you talk about the, uh, the um, uh, what's the, all the letters movement, uh, uh, it's totally blanked my mind, uh, the E-I-E-I-O-U uh, uh, movement that's today, uh, the lesbian, L-G-B-T-Q, E-I-E-I-O, that's what it is. 
so even in in talking about those things, uh, you know, I, there's there's a there's a human little bit of fear coming here because there's a there's reprisal to that. Uh, you you don't want to offend people, and yet you have to proclaim the truth. And so I understand why preachers like to pour syrup out of the pulpit instead of the fire of the word of God sometimes. And so there's that temptation there, but. John didn't. He gave the truth as it was. And I really believe, I really believe if we're going to honor the Word of God, we need to get back to declaring it like John did. Declaring the truth of the Word of God. Look at where he preached. John preached in the wilderness of Judea, verse 1. He did not preach in the big temple in Jerusalem or any important synagogues throughout Israel because the kind of preaching John did would not be permitted in the religious places of his day. John was not getting, uh, just, just like today, John was not getting a bunch of, of uh, praise from the religious leaders of his day. Straight preaching is not appreciated in any age. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. What did he do to the Old Testament prophets? Read Jeremiah. Threw him in a big old mud puddle, a uh, mud pit. Uh, they sawed him in half, uh, other prophets. They killed him. We talked about it in Hebrews and and uh, they treated their prophets because they don't, people like straight preaching. And they don't still today. Just look at the Joel Osteens of the day today uh, that are basically motivational speakers. And hey, it's great to listen to. I've listened to a couple of his messages. Very uplifting. All right? They don't convict of sin, but they're very uplifting. And, and if he was just relabel himself as a motivational speaker, I'd have no problem with it. But just to call himself a preacher is where I have a problem because uh, we are... We are to preach it straight. For example, in the Old Testament, Amos. Amos was uh, someone who was politically incorrect. He uh, preached a little too straight. And so there was a prophet Amaziah who was instructing him. And Amaziah was more politically correct. And this is what he said in, to Amos in Amos 7.12. Go flee thee away into the land of Judah and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, it is the king's court. So in other words, Amos, you're preaching, it's just a little too crude for decent people. The elite, it's too coarse for them. And so, you preach like Amos or John the Baptist, you're not going to have many open doors. And uh, you're not going to have a lot of invitations by the ministerial associations of the town. Alright, you're going to you're, you're not, in fact, that would almost be an insult, I think, uh, to get invited by one of those because we really want to preach the word as it is. Positivity, that's okay. But holiness is another story. Preach against sin and your pop popularity as a preacher will dwindle. You will not have the mega church in town if you're faithful in preaching against sin uh, because it, that does not breed popularity. Now, I heard years ago, maybe it had been in Bible college, somebody said, if you want to be a popular preacher, preach against sin. If you want to be extremely unpopular, preach against sins. There's a big difference when you start naming names. You know what John the Baptist did? He, named, he not only named the sin, he named people. And we're going to see that as we go on. <laughs> I can't wait to get, before we get to the point where Herod shows up. Everybody's like, yay, Herod's here. John, be nice today. So he gets up and preaches against Herod. You know, right straight to him. Great story. Uh, John the Baptist didn't get into the fancy place. He had to preach in the deserts. He received no invitations from the priests, but he was found faithful. Now, John didn't only preach. He soon began baptizing. 
Now, a part of his ministry, such a big part of his ministry was baptizing that he became known as the baptizer and hence his name, John the Baptist. Now, John was not the founder of the Baptist church. Uh, just, I know that some people make that claim. There's a belief system that's uh, very prevalent today, I, even close to here, called uh, the Landmark uh, Baptist uh, belief, uh, and uh, that's a, a heritage philosophy. They believe that to be a true church, you have to be able to trace your lineage. Uh, this church started. This church was started by this church. Was started by this church. Was started by this church. Was started by John the Baptist. Okay, so you go all the way back. Uh, it's obviously uh, it, it's not really possible to do that, but that's the claim that they make. And uh, if you go to join, they will not accept your baptism. They will not accept your your membership from a another independent fundamental Baptist church unless they also can trace their lineage all the way back. Uh, now I'm not going to get into arguing that or or putting anybody down, but what I believe just so you know, is, is in doctrinal succession. That's what we hold to here at Bible Baptist Church. We, I, I do believe we resemble uh, the early church as best, better than any other if you want to throw denomination out there. And uh, so that's why I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist by conviction. Not because I believe that Jesus said, on this rock I will build my Baptist church, but because it closest aligns to the, what the Bible says in the early church uh, gives us that example. But it wasn't until the third century that any group would be called Baptist. And I believe that our doctrinal line can be traced all the way back to the early church. I do hold to that because we can, we, we've got history. We've got even before Baptist, the Anabaptists, the uh, Donicists, and all these different groups uh, that go all the way back to the apostle. But, uh, and, and there was no beginning of a Baptist denomination by somebody who Named it that, like the Methodists, like the Presbyterians, like the, like the, uh, well, you go on down the line. There's always somebody who started that where the Baptist was a name that was acquired, not somebody who said, all right, we're going to start a new denomination and call it Baptist. No, they were already long in existence and then they started calling them Anabaptists, uh, all the way back in the third century. The term Anabaptist means to be baptized again. In other words, if you are baptized as an infant. We've had it here at this church. Somebody comes and wants to join the church and, well, I've been baptized as a baby. Uh, we do not accept that baptism because that's not a biblical baptism. The biblical baptism is baptism after you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And unless you were a really smart five-day-old baby, uh, you did not make a conscious decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. So we require biblical baptism, which is baptism by immersion, after salvation. Now, that I, I had a young man come and, and uh, was talking to me about this, and he was interested in joining, and, and I explained that to him. He had just been baby baptized. In fact, he didn't have a very strong salvation testimony. So we were talking about that in my office, and he said, so you were saying, if I, had to, if I wanted to join your church, that I had to, have to get baptized again. I said, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you'd have to get baptized. The first time, you just got wet. Second, this would be baptism, because... Dipping a baby or pouring water on a baby is not baptism. It's making the baby wet. Baptism, biblical baptism, is after salvation. But Anabaptists got that name because we baptized again. And uh, so that's the name that we... And then eventually it just stuck. Uh, Baptist is what stuck to our name. But much like the Christians were called Christians first at Antioch, not necessarily taking that name on themselves, but made that, they were named that by enemies, so were the Baptists. We were named by our enemies for what we believed 
And so it is not that we had a beginning to our denomination. I will strongly, strongly affirm here again, like I have many times, Baptists are not Protestants. We are not Protestants. We were around long before the Reformation. Uh, in fact, the Protestants were, they, they were a group that uh, basically came about because they wanted to reform the Catholic Church, hence the word Reformation. Protestants were all about reforming. Baptists were all about replacing apostasy with truth. So you have reforming versus replacing. Now, no Baptist at that time promoted the idea of taking the Catholic Church and cleaning it up. All right, The Catholic Church teaches heresy. What we would, what we would uh, ask Catholics to do is to get saved, all right? Get baptized and join a biblical church. And that's what they did. So Baptists were protesting the Catholic Church centuries before the Protestant movement began. But anyway, back to John the Baptist. Since he did so much baptizing, I want to look at his baptism, or his baptizing. There's two baptisms that John, excuse me, was involved with. You have the baptizing of the crowd, and you have the baptizing of Christ. Now, there's three water baptisms in the New Testament that we'll just touch on, uh, but focus on the one that, we're, that John did. The baptism of the repenter, the baptism of the redeemer, and the baptism of the redeemed. So the three different baptisms in the New Testament, you have John's baptism, which is different than our baptism. We'll explain that in a minute here. Then you have Jesus' baptism, which is way different than our baptism because... He was perfect, all right? So he was a, the Redeemer. And then you have our baptism, which we have observed ever since Jesus died on the cross. John was involved in only the first two. He was in the baptism of the repenter and the baptism of the redeemed. But John was already in heaven before Jesus died on the cross. So let's look at the baptizing of the crowd here. Uh, we see God's directive in John 1.33. We're going to look at some different verses here. I'm just reading them to you. You can write them down or... Turn really fast if you want, but uh, John 1.33, He that is God hath sent me to baptize with water. So John got that directive from God. John's orders were to begin his ministry, and that work included preaching and baptism. They were inseparable. When he came to this uh, on the scene, the Bible says in Luke 3.3 3, that he was preaching the baptism of repentance. There's where that... Uh, there, there's where that uh, definition is right there. The baptism of repentance. That's the first baptism we're looking at. Uh, the, the meaning of this baptism is exactly what it says. Repentance. The Bible tells us in Luke 3, 3, And he came unto all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. This meant that someone, when, when someone got baptized by John, they were making a public declaration of their repentance. Now, John's baptism is different than the baptism of the believer that you participated in in our time today. Believer's baptism is an identification with of the believer with Jesus Christ, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, Romans chapter 6 talks about that. I'll read verses 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are baptized by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Probably when you got baptized, something along that line was said. When they said, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life. We didn't just make that up. That comes straight from this passage right here. 
That's the baptism that we are baptized with today. It's a public declaration of a private decision. Now, John's baptism was the acknowledgement of one's sin. Your baptism is the acknowledgement of your salvation. That's a diff little difference in the believer's baptism and the repenter's baptism. Now, just remind, we're going to get into it a little deeper later, maybe not this week, but, but uh, it, when Paul is encountered Apollos' people, remember that? Was it Apollos? Is that right name? Yeah. And when he encountered his converts, he asked them what baptism he been baptized with, the baptism of John, he baptized them again. There's a reason for that. John's baptism is different than ours. And so John's baptism involved a confession of sin. In Matthew 3, 6, in our text, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, believer's baptism uh, involves a confession of Christ. Acts 8, 36-37 talks about that. So when we get baptized, you go up to the tank and, and uh, we give that testimony before uh, we dunk them. Uh, we, we let them give the testimony of salvation to the people so people know that they've already made the private decision of salvation. Now they're making the public declaration of baptism. But you uh, are professing Christ well, in John's day, it was professing sin, a confession of sin. The difference between these baptisms, uh, let, turn to the book of Acts, and we'll go to there, talk, talk about what I was just mentioning here with, with uh, Apollos and Paul. John, or Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. My goodness, we're not going to get as far as I thought tonight, but we'll uh, wrap it up here in a few minutes. When Apollos came to Ephesus to minister... The Bible says in verse 25, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, this is talking about Apollos, in the synagogue which, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So, here's the idea of what was happening here. The after Calvary and the resurrection, the baptism of John is no longer applicable because baptism now had a new meaning. It was no longer a testimony of repentance. It was a testimony of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, the resurrection of Christ, and now we are identifying ourselves with him in our baptism. Now, Apollos, the Bible says, was only familiar, knowing only the baptism of John. And so Apollos had to be set straight. He needed to be instructed, as the Bible so nicely puts it, more perfectly or more accurately. And uh, so Aquila and Priscilla, being two knowledgeable believers, took him aside and gave him this instruction. When Paul came to Ephesus a little later, he found some of the converts of Apollos. Look at chapter 19. He asked them a question. Verse number 3, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. So Paul clarifies the difference in verse 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. There it is again. Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus. So Paul is basically saying John was telling people about he which was to come. Believer's baptism says that one has already placed their faith in Jesus Christ who has come, who has died, and who has raised from the dead. There's a big difference between these two baptisms. And so here in verse number 5, 
When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that messes up your history because that says that Paul was actually the first Anabaptist, if you want to be technical about it, because he baptized him again. Uh, we see, I'm not going to spend too much time on this either, we're about to close anyway for tonight, but the mode of baptism, uh, I hope that we're all clear on that this evening. The mode of baptism, because of religion, these are all over the map. Sprinkling, uh, pouring, dunking, wet towels, you know, uh, promissory note, whatever. There's all kinds of different ideas of baptism. But the mode of John's baptism, uh, there's no doubt it's immersion. I'll give you three reasons or the meaning of the word. That's the first thing we can look at. Immersion. A baptism means to dip or to immerse. Now, you wouldn't use the word baptism if, it, if somebody sprinkles water on you to baptize. Uh, the, the Amish, they baptize with a spoon. They have a cup and they'll have a whole line of people getting baptized. And they'll pour a little water on each one out of the same cup. And that's baptism. You wouldn't use to immerse or to dip to explain that. So the meaning of the word, you can't skip over the meaning of the word. I think that would be enough for us there. Not also the meaning of the symbolism. The baptism of repentance symbolized the person uh, that that was worthy. Not the, again, you remember the baptism of repentance is different. John's baptism. So what you were saying when you were baptized by him is you are worthy to die because of your sin. And then he is going to, you know, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's who he's preparing for. So the repentance baptism uh, pictures death and burial. It would be very hard for sprinkling to achieve that. The same in our uh, baptism today. The symbolism is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Then also the scene here. Several statements in the Gospels give us clues to the scene when they were baptizing. John 3.23 And John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. Pray tell. Just practical question. Why would we need much water if we're using teaspoons? If we're pouring. We wouldn't need much water. Uh, only when immersion is practiced do you need much water. Another place in Matthew 3.16, when Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Now, if I'm getting a teaspoon of water on my forehead, I don't want to go into the water. There's no reason to get my nice suit wet. You know what I'm saying? So uh, they came out of the water, just, just kind of throwing some practical uh, scenes out there. We see that only immersion requires you to go down into the water to be baptized. Now, uh, before we baptize anybody, we examine them. We explain to the person coming why we baptize, what we baptize for, what it means. We want to make sure they understand it. It's one reason why anybody who comes to join our church meets with the deacons. Now, sometimes this is unnecessary. Uh, we know them well, or we, we're very familiar with their testimony. We still have that procedure in place because it's a, it's a great way to uh, have a, a step before membership to make sure that people are... are uh, just examine. That's what the Bible says. We ought to examine everyone. We're not to have unsaved in our midst, in our membership. And so we uh, do not baptize people who are not saved to the best of our ability. Are there unsaved members of Bible Baptist Church? Probably. I mean, we can't know hearts, but we do the best we can there. Uh, we also want to be careful that we don't cause people to think they're getting saved as they're getting baptized. So we want to make sure that we examine and we talk to everybody coming. Now, John did the same thing. He examined people. This included challenging them, warning them, and indicting them that were coming for baptism. Now, 
I almost hate that I can't get into this tonight because this is where it gets really exciting getting into the preaching of John because there were four distinct groups in John's that came from being baptized. The religious leaders, the regular people, the revenue collectors, and the Roman soldiers. And he talks to every one of them in his message. So you come back next week and we will get into that because uh, he he doesn't... <laughs> John... Uh, John couldn't have run for political office. He was just too straight. He just said things as they were. And uh, in fact, I don't think John could have pastored. Do you agree? He'd have been run out of every church he ever would have pastored in. Uh, but he could preach on a stump in the desert <laughs> because he didn't have anybody. But he, uh, he uh, it's, it's really interesting here when you split up the different groups he preached to and he focused on. But he wasn't going to baptize you just because you wanted to come and get baptized. He's going to examine you as I think we do today still. so, Amen. All right. Hopefully it gave you some things to think about tonight. Learn something. And uh, I pray, I'm praying for you that you stay safe and, and uh, that we do not uh, have to succumb to any more sicknesses or anything like that because of this coronavirus. Just